Welcome to the Bauhaus Wife Podcast. I'm Yolanda, and I write about pregnancy, free birth, mothering, attachment, nourishment, spirit, outrageousness, and dissent from a radical feminist perspective. And you can read my blog at www.bauhauswife.com. That's B-A-U-H-A-U-S-W-I-F-E.com. And from there, you can also download my free ebook guide to autonomous physiological home birth. You can check out my consulting services from my website as well, which I offer to women and families around the world, including a fantastic package that I call the Free Birth Freedom Sessions, which includes two 45-minute Skype coaching sessions with me and a ton of material that can help you get clarity on exactly what you want and how to go about getting what you want if you're planning a free birth or a home birth with a midwife or a doula. And of course, I also work face-to-face with clients here in New Brunswick, Canada. I'm also a ceramic artist, and you can purchase my artwork at www.yolandanorrisclark.com. That's Y-O-L-A-N-D-E-N-O-R-R-I-S. C-L-A-R-K.com. And this podcast is sponsored by a tiny little skincare company called Flora and Fauna Apothecary. We make one almost perfect little product, a skin elixir, which is a very deliberate blend of certified organic and fair trade botanical oils, which have been chosen for their anti-inflammatory and protective and smoothing and therapeutic properties, including red raspberry oil, which has a natural SPF equivalent of 20 to 25, as well as broccoli seed oil, sea buckthorn oil, rice bran oil, macadamia nut oil, vitamin C, and several other key ingredients that come together to make a skin oil that's light, dewy, non-greasy, with a delectable and subtle scent. And we've been receiving just a ton of rave reviews lately from so many of the women who now love it. You can order it online at www.florafauna.ca. And it's also available in Fredericton at the gorgeous boutique Modern General on York Street downtown. In fact, I just heard from the lovely proprietor of Modern General who told me that someone came into her store the other day looking for that local skin elixir that makes your skin look amazing because apparently a friend of this person's was looking so fabulous and this particular woman had to know what she was using and it was Flora and Fauna. Yay! Um, I also brought a whack of the product to the recent Women's Summit that I just came home from and I was sold out in no time. So I actually would like to offer all of you lovely listeners and readers of my blog 20% off all orders from now until August 2nd with the code SUMMIT at the checkout from my website. That's S-U-M-M-I-T. Next, I want to mention that I'm just about to open a really low-key little endeavor, and that's a new Etsy shop of mine called Jemima Francis. That's J-E-M-I-M-A-F-R-A-N-C-E-S. And there I'll be selling the dolls that I make by hand out of Ecotech certified organic wool with linen bodies stitched with silk thread and clothing made from organic and vintage natural fabrics. Now, all of my friends think I'm absolutely nuts because I do have a ton of stuff going on, but this just sort of happened um, out of the blue. I had made a doll for my daughter and someone saw it and offered to... Uh, give me a commission for me to make a doll for them. So I did, and I made a few other ones, and 
now I have these lovely little dolls that I think are really sweet and gorgeous. So I'm just popping them online. So there's going to be a few of those available. Also, sewing is one of those things that I can do with my kids kind of on top of me. So, you know, we listen to audiobooks and sit around and, and I sew and they do beading and or they paint or draw. So it's something that I can do with my hands when, when I have kids on the go. Um, kind of un, not so much like pottery or writing. Those are activities that I need a little bit more space to, to go for. But I like to make things so so dolls yeah <laughs> um and on this etsy shop uh jemima francis i'll also be selling the beeswax candles that my husband lee and i have been making for a while now and also handmade wooden umbilical cord burning boxes and cord burning kits for all those crunchy home birthing mothers out there now um i actually burned the cord of cosmo when he was born he's our our previous baby he's our youngest our current youngest and it was such a beautiful ritual I had done a partial lotus births with previous babies and then eventually cut the cord but there was something really really special and intimate and magical about burning Cosmo's cord and that's what I plan on doing with this baby and I'm actually going to talk all about the umbilical cord in an upcoming podcast so I'm going to talk about how the cord actually works. I'm going to talk about the nuchal cord. That's the cord around the baby's neck or twisted around baby's body sometimes or even in a true knot at birth. And this is often used as a, um, as a pretext for a ton of medical interventions in birth when we actually know that a nuchal cord is nothing to worry about. And in fact, it's, it's protective for the baby. So I'll talk a lot about that. And I'll also talk about some issues that can arise with the cord, velamentous cord. And I'll talk about how to treat the cord after birth. So a lot of mothers have questions about, you know, infection at the cord site. Um, we'll talk about how to examine a cord to make sure that your baby's healthy after birth. And then also different ways of severing your baby's placenta from the baby if you choose to do so. We'll also talk about lotus birth. So that's in an upcoming podcast. But um, but yeah, for now I'll have uh, these lovely cord burning boxes and beeswax candle kits available for mums who would like to buy them. Lastly, I am so excited about the upcoming launch of my new online course, which I'll be offering, it looks like in September, possibly the beginning of October, but um, you'll have to stay tuned for the exact launch date. But the course itself is going to be an introduction to the steps and processes involved in becoming a full spectrum or home birth, free birth doula. So this program is designed to help you analyze what your community needs to pinpoint your passion and define your niche in what is now becoming quite a competitive birth world. And it will give you the steps required to create a business plan and a really conscious approach to setting up your business that will help you build a grassroots birth network, get clients, and make a living doing this work. In the course, I'm going to share all of my hints and tricks and secrets, as well as how I actually practice, what prenatal consultation sessions look like, the way I do it, what I talk about with clients, and how I do and don't do birth. 
We'll talk a little bit about herbal healing. We'll talk a lot about the spirituality and metaphysics of birth. We'll also delve into the legalities of birth work and how to navigate some of the nitty-gritty of that stuff, how to be a professional in situations like hospital transfers, and really everything that I know about doing this work on a practical, holistic, and business level. I've had a ton of people writing me to ask when this course is going to be ready, and I'm really putting everything I have into making it excellent and really valuable. It will also be a chance to pick my brain kind of person to person about whatever questions you might have about birth and about serving other women with love. And if you want to make sure that you get all the info when it's fresh, please consider joining my mailing list. I send emails out only occasionally, but I promise that those subscribed to my list will be the first to know about some special events and some of the stuff that I'm ready to put out into the world. And included among those is the documentary that I've been working on for actually many, many years now. Um, I get lots of messages also about whether or not I'll be putting Cosmo's birth video on YouTube or the birth of this upcoming baby, and the answer is no. Although the documentary that I'm completing will feature lots of really intimate footage of all seven of my baby's births, and also lots of commentary from me about how I see birth and possibly even birth footage from friends' free births as well. Now, access to the documentary will cost about 20 bucks through Vimeo, but I'll also be able to offer a DVD to those who would prefer to have a physical copy. And I'm really excited to be able to support my family by doing this work. And I also want to make sure that I keep myself safe and to ensure that images of my body and my life aren't being accessed and shared by some really nasty people, which I'm sure is understandable to everybody. And this probably sounds pretty dumb, <laughs> but I really didn't understand what it might mean to have images and footage of my birth videos online for every single person in the world to see um, when I posted Felix's birth video, for example, to YouTube. So that's just not happening anymore. I don't have the backbone. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that's that. And it is a lot, I know. Um, and if you're already confused or disoriented, um, links to all of this crazy stuff that I do will be in the show notes, which I'll be posting to my website at bahousewife.com as a separate blog post. So I'm trying to make sure that each of these podcasts has its own blog post so that everyone can get all the details of the different things that I'm talking about. <clears throat> okay, so today I'm going to be talking about free birth in the context of the very imminent birth of my seventh baby. And if I end up huffing and puffing at points in this podcast, it's because I have truly been in the birth process now for many, many days. And well, the longer I stay pregnant, the more likely it is that my baby will be born. Right? <laughs> someone tell me that that's true because I'm I'm getting to that that point that point that all other mothers I think who gestate their babies for 42 or 43 weeks can relate to but first I know I keep delaying here but first I want to talk a little bit about the third annual New Brunswick Women's Summit I've been back home for just a few days since that experience, and honestly, I don't even know where to begin to try to describe living on the beach for three days, sleeping in a yurt, surrounded by many of the women that I love most in the whole world. 
It was truly magical. It was also strange, though, because I did spend the entire three days in a state of, well, birthing. You might actually remember me joking on previous episodes of this podcast that I might be giving birth at the summit, and for much of my time there, it did seem like my birth process was, well, not just close, but kind of ongoing. So I didn't really have the opportunity to take in the countless incredible workshops. I just sort of floated from the beach to the shade to the yurt to swimming in the salty Atlantic to chatting with all the beautiful women I stumbled across and then drifting off into birthland and back again. And the summit is intended to be a retreat for women and a break from what can sometimes, you know, if we're honest, feel a little bit like drudgery of housework and taking care of our kids in such a <clears throat> really focused <coughs> in such a really focused way. So in general, little people other than babes in arms or nurslings are discouraged from attending. But I was so grateful to have been given an exception because my five, almost six-year-old daughter, Treva, was adamant that I was not going to go anywhere without her because she has decided that she's my primary birth attendant. And she just wasn't about to allow me to go off on my own in case our baby did decide to arrive. And honestly, Treva had a blast. She made herself totally at home. She ran around dressed only in a silk scarf, kind of artfully draped over and around her body the entire weekend. And she made so many new friends, including another young girl who was there. And I really kind of hardly ever saw her because she was off hobnobbing with all the glorious women she'd befriended. And so I really have to thank everyone who was at the event for being so sweet with Treva and so understanding and for the collective mothering that took place, which allowed me to laze around in my heavily pregnant, spaced out state. So thank you so much to all the women who were there helping me. I also need to mention that the keynote speaker at the summit this year was Marin Green of IndieBirth.com and the Taking Back Birth podcast. Now, I had the opportunity to interview Marin for the Ba Housewife podcast a few episodes ago, and I was also interviewed by Marin on the Taking Back Birth podcast some months ago. Marin and I have been carrying on an online friendship for a few years now, and I loved her before I saw her face, but nothing beats being able to give the people we adore big hugs, and it was just incredible to not only be able to meet Marin, but to have a chance to really chat and to hear her speak in front of our group and to get to know her on a little bit more of an intimate level. Now, she really is a fantastic teacher. Um, she just has such an engaging and inspiring manner about her. So if you have a chance to take a course from her, even if it's an online course or anything in person, jump at that opportunity. And actually, Marin and Indie Birth are organizing a in, an in-person midwifery conference in Sedona, Arizona, uh, and this is coming up in March of 2017, so this coming year. And I'm going to be speaking at the conference, which I'm totally thrilled about. Uh, and so, yeah, if you would like to travel to glorious Sedona in March, this would be the perfect opportunity to go. 
Um, Marin, I love you so much. <laughs> Thank you for saying hi to my baby on the porch at dusk. And I'm almost glad that I didn't wake up early enough to say goodbye to you when you had to catch your plane back to Sedona because I know I would have been a blubbering mess. And not only because I'm flush with all these juicy and emotional birth hormones. So yeah, Marin, we were, we were so grateful for your presence. Thank you so much for traveling to see us. Now, it's funny that this podcast episode, and in a way my life really, is about the concept of unassisted birth or free birth, and that I talk ad nauseum about birthing autonomously, birthing confidently, that almost every single woman can do this, etc. And all of that is real, but I also know from experience how challenging pregnancy and birth can be, and just how important it is to seek out the kind of support that you yourself require and the sort of support that's going to facilitate things unfolding for you the way you want and need. And as I make clear in my ebook, available for free on my website, the first step is really getting totally clear on exactly what it is you want so that you can really hone in on the resources and the people that you need to surround yourself with. So on Friday night at the summit, my body started going into the birth dance and my uterus was surging regularly and Odette was stroking my back and Kate had her hands on my belly and Shannon was rubbing my feet and I just lay there being loved in the most intimate, beautiful way and I really thought that my baby was on its way. Silly me. <laughs> I'm still pregnant. And I do feel silly because I honestly feel more clueless about this whole birth thing the more babies that I have. And I have the same thoughts as every other woman at this stage of pregnancy. What if my baby just isn't coming out? What if there's something preventing my baby from being born? What if I'm doing something wrong? What if I'm too tired, too stressed, too old, too broken to give birth? And why can't someone do something? Why won't someone do something? <laughs> Luckily for me, the wise women that I like to surround myself with would never dream of doing anything. And they very dutifully told me to go jump in the ocean when I begged for cervical checks and acupressure for induction. And let me be clear that I'm completely against all that stuff. And I was only half joking when I pleaded with them to help me. But the point is that I'm just as susceptible to what feels like the sometimes crazy making suspense and pressure and the sheer physical weight of being in late pregnancy. And ultimately, I know that my baby will come out because they do. They, they just are born. Babies are born. <laughs> they get born. <laughs> and of course, one of the themes that I'm so very passionate about when it comes to childbirth education is the reality that there is no such thing as a natural induction and that there are, and that there are almost no instances where any sort of induction is actually medically necessary that the research that doctors are supposedly basing their enthusiasm for induction on is flawed, and that procedures like stripping of membranes are not evidence-based practice. There is absolutely no benefit to the mother or the baby when it comes to that procedure in particular. And in fact, membrane stripping, also known as membrane sweeps, increase the chances of infection, increase irritation, discourage the birth process, stress the mother out, cause pain, etc. But of course, there are lots of women who've been subjected to membrane stripping 
and who claim that this initiated the birth process. Well, yeah. It's sort of like painting a red dot on the nose of a 41-week pregnant woman, and then when she gives birth the next day, claiming that the red paint on her nose induced the birth process. And you can try it out. Maybe I'll try it out. Because <laughs> it'll work with anything, right? Because when you're 41 weeks pregnant, your baby is going to be born soon, no matter what the heck you do. So I could go and, you know, climb halfway up a tree. And I'll tell you in two or three days that that is what started my birth process. Well, maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Um, you know, we hear a lot about how sex will start the birth process. Well, women generally have sex throughout their pregnancies. Some of them do anyway. And um, it only tends to work when a woman is 41 or 42 weeks pregnant, right? So we just, there's no, there's nothing of that sort that is going to be a magical, you know, a magical bullet that will initiate birth. And when it comes to all of the medical induction methods, uh, that's kind of a whole different story. That doesn't have anything to do with free birth, though. <laughs> I know all this, basically. And these days, I know it all on a profoundly abstract and intellectual level only. Because the bigger my baby grows, and the birthier I feel every single day, the crazier I feel, and the more likely I would be to jump at the chance to have someone distract me with induction magical thinking, right? As I said, I'm no more immune to all of that than anyone else, because being 41 weeks pregnant is hard. I'm actually probably closer to 42 weeks pregnant. And it's especially hard in a culture that is obsessed as ours is with timelines and deadlines and quantification of all sorts. On the other hand, and this is, this is true too. I'm actually kind of hoping that this baby stays inside my body for the 42 or even almost 43 weeks that all my other babies have preferred. This is for a number of reasons, but mostly because I have commitments to other people. And I would really love to be able to fulfill those commitments without a baby in my arms. But I'm also okay with having to do that if this little one arrives before then. I'm also just really hoping that I'll have some extra time to get some areas of my house and my life organized, but that's a usual desire that doesn't ever seem to come to complete fruition, so I try not to get too attached to what I suppose is my so-called nesting urge. <laughs> so I hope this, I hope that, I wish this, I wish that, but the reality for me and for every single woman who is nearing the end of her pregnancy is that we can either surrender to the process or fight it, just as we can either allow our babies to choose their own birthdays or deal with the repercussions of submitting to what will inevitably be a medicalization, and often a necessary one, of the birth process. You know, although I'm feeling generally pretty happy and a little wistful and anticipatory and even a little bit bittersweet about this whole pregnancy and the circumstances surrounding it. I think I always end up mourning the end of my pregnancies just a little bit, although of course being able to snuggle a gorgeous little newborn definitely takes the edge off of all of that for the most part. But I think the truth is that no one is ever ready to have a baby 
And I often chuckle to myself when my child-free friends talk about the big decision that it is to have a child or not, and whether or not they're really ready to become parents. Of course, I, I agree, it is a big decision and a huge life change to have a child. But at the same time, I don't think it's ever possible to be ready. Having a baby doesn't just affect the practicalities and the routines of one's life. It's entirely paradigm shifting, and it does transform us as individual women, I think rather completely. At the same time, I see pregnancy and birth as utterly normal, really, no big deal. And while the rest of the world doesn't always go along with this, I also see parenting as completely normal too, and I tend to see children as people, which again, is sadly not a mainstream view, I don't think. But for me, at the age of 35, at 41 weeks pregnant, I have to honestly say that I don't really feel like I'm ready for this pregnancy to be over. And I don't feel ready for this to be my last pregnancy. Although, who knows? I've always sort of half-jokingly said that I would like to have at least one baby during a time in my life when my house is clean and my life is totally in order and I feel stable and secure in most of the areas of my family, my business, my art. And, well, I have some of those things somewhat worked out, but definitely not all. And then there's also the fact that I just love being pregnant and I love giving birth and I, I don't know if I'll ever have enough of it. In any case, the end of pregnancy is always a very emotional time for me and, and for many other women. And I guess it's a good exercise for me to just sit with all of that and sort of accept where I am right in this moment. And this may indeed be my last baby, and that would be okay. But I have a good idea as to some of the underlying psychological reasons as to why I'm so into pregnancy and birthing. And maybe I just need to hang on to the, the possibility that there's a slim chance that I could have just one more baby, maybe when I'm 40 or 42 years old. So we'll see. Anything is possible. But I should try to focus on the topic at hand, which again is supposed to be this idea of free birth. So during the last podcast episode, I talked about unassisted pregnancy. So you might want to go back and listen to that one if you didn't have a chance to before. But anyway, free birth. My idea of free birth is pretty much as the name suggests, giving birth in a state of total freedom, untethered by technology or by the supposed authority of anyone else, just birthing exactly how I, the mother, decides to at the time. I often use the terms free birth and family birth interchangeably because all of my births are essentially family births. I birth at home as part of a normal day with my children around me and my husband in attendance, maybe in the background or taking pictures. <laughs> I hope that he can do that to my satisfaction. Hmm. Um, or video, anyway. Um, and unassisted birth is also a term that's used, but as I've pointed out before, unassisted birth is quite a misnomer because mostly all the women that I know who birth at home, away from the presence of doctors or nurses or midwives, happily receive plenty of assistance from maybe their older children or from their partners or friends or loved ones who might be around at the time or even who help before or after the birth process. 
And there's nothing at all wrong with assistance. There's also certainly nothing wrong with choosing to receive assistance, input, or advice from professionals, be they doctors or nurses or regulated midwives or traditional birth attendants. But I think the choice to forego all of that and to give birth without the presence of another person who's there in a professional capacity is often misunderstood or misinterpreted as irresponsibility, when in fact the women who decide to take full responsibility for their birth processes and who prepare themselves for birth at home are making a very responsible, legitimate decision and one that is often made precisely in order to preserve a state of safety and peace with the recognition that birth itself is fundamentally safe and that the state of safety is compromised by the addition of other human beings, technology, procedures, lights, cameras, etc., rather than the other way around. I think also that my own experience of giving birth at home in a family context without even a birth attendant has given me some really valuable insight into how just the mere presence of another individual will shift the energy at birth. So when I approach my own work as a birth witness or a midwitch, not a midwife, mind you, it really is with a deep respect and understanding of what a privileged and delicate position I'm in. When I walk into a birthing woman's home, I am entering sacred space, and I try to be as mindful as I possibly can of respecting the mother and her home as sovereign territory. I am essentially not even a guest, but to some extent, always invading a little bit of the sanctity of that birthing woman's space, so I try to minimize that as much as possible. Now, I've often said that the hospital is the very last place where I would ever go to give birth for the sake of the safety and well-being of my infant and myself. And this is not a joke. Uh, It's an absolutely legitimate choice to birth in the hospital. Many women desire to be there, and that is completely fine. But for me, it is the last place that I would be safe. And the more births I witness, the more times I give birth myself, the more I recognize and really have to acknowledge that the well-meaning staff at the hospital don't know the first thing about spontaneous physiological birth, but also that every single aspect of hospital birth, even small details that one might not consider to be significant to the birth process, does modify the physiology of birth. The very moment a woman steps into her vehicle to be transported to the hospital, the underlying safety of the birth process in a normal, healthy mother and baby has been compromised. And this really isn't a matter of opinion. It really is fact. We are mammals. The basic biological requirements for an optimal, safe birth for every mammal is for the mother to be in a familiar, comfortable environment, to be in a space that's quiet and dark, absent of strangers, and not to be subjected to any invasion of her space, her privacy, or her body. It is, in fact, precisely that feeling, even, of being observed, assessed, measured, timed, that interrupts the incredibly delicate web of hormones, creating anxiety and stress. And even a hint of extrinsic stress will alter that flow of hormones that allows the birth process to unfold smoothly. And I specify extrinsic stress because birth is absolutely a huge expenditure of energy, and it's a very, very intense experience. I don't 
really want to use the word stress to describe any aspect of spontaneous autonomous birth because stress has sort of a negative connotation. But I think the way I see it is that there is a kind of natural stress, again, related to all the helpful hormones that flow through a mother's body when she's giving birth. But that the addition of outside stress in the form of fear, agitation, excitement on the part of the people around the mother can really quite seriously mess things up. And I genuinely believe that that is what's going on in most of the cases of women whose birth processes fail to progress or stall or otherwise go haywire in the hospital. The astonishingly, shockingly, depressingly high rates of surgical birth here in Canada and all over the U.S. and all over the world, which range from 25% to sometimes 40% or even much higher, is not indicative, I don't believe, of the degree of brokenness of women's bodies, but rather is indicative of the brokenness of obstetrical institutions and systems that fail women. They fail women individually, and they fail women on the whole, and they really fail humanity. So when women are unable to give birth vaginally at the hospital, this is not an example of her body failing. It is, in the vast majority of cases, I believe profoundly, an example of her body responding healthily to adverse circumstances, an adverse environment, an adverse treatment. In other words, we should be recognizing that these women's bodies are actually working beautifully and that her birth process has stopped because her body knows on a very deep level that she is not in a safe place. So when I hear of women who do give birth vaginally in the hospital, I see it as a miracle. <laughs> and I ended up hiring my beloved birth attendant and teacher, Gloria, to support me during my first birth and my second all those years ago. But I'd actually planned a free birth for my first baby. And the reason is that I recognized in myself at that time that I simply do not have the ability to give birth in the hospital or for that matter in the presence of anyone with whom I don't feel completely comfortable and at ease. I'm increasingly sure that if I were ever expected to birth in the hospital, I would end up with a C-section. And this is because birth is not just a physical experience, but it's an emotional one, a psychological one, it's a spiritual one. And I do think that one of the most salient reasons why a woman does or doesn't give birth vaginally in certain circumstances comes down to a whole host of factors, but also to temperament. Now, often when I try to talk about this, the interpretation is that I'm assigning blame or responsibility to individual women, and I'm really actually attempting, maybe not well, but attempting to do the opposite. So I've experienced my fair share of trauma and violation, and I think that those sorts of experiences can make women especially sensitive to the multifaceted, multi-pronged insensitivities that take place in the hospital setting, simply because this is the way the system has to operate due to finances, structural issues, the kind of training the doctors and nurses receive, etc. It's just a fact that childbirth is one of the most vulnerable, intimate acts that anyone will ever undertake. And key to that experience is the ability to surrender to the intensity and to the extremity of it. So it's a very complicated issue, obviously, and I'm just throwing out some ideas and opinions there, which everyone is free to take or leave, because, of course, every single woman in the world creates a narrative for herself 
around how she does birth and about what her birth experiences mean. So I tend to come down really hard on the concept of empowerment. And in a future podcast, I really want to dissect empowerment versus power and to talk about what I perceive to be some major distinctions between the two. But suffice for now to say that we all do make stories around our experiences. And usually those stories are in service to our worldview, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. It just tends to be my own habit to attempt anyway, to question everything and to really interrogate my own perceptions and to kind of apply a power analysis to my experiences. So I really make a point of trying to distinguish between whether or not the experience that I had was one in which I actually had objective power. And the only way that I can do birth uh, powerfully myself is to do it on my own because I literally have all the power. So I have had several experiences myself in the hospital and I'm sure that if I kind of did some twists and turns, I could manage to frame those experiences as empowering But there is no way that it would be possible for me to frame myself within the context of those experiences as actually having any power. And I think that that can be a very difficult distinction to make in our own lives. And I mean, I see tons and tons of experiences that I've had that are similar to that. So relationships I've been in where I felt like, okay, this is fine. But then looking back objectively, I am able to see that. I actually had no power at all in those relationships. So it's a painful process to do that. And it's not necessary that anyone does it ever. But I have found it to be necessary for me to be able to live in my truth. So, yeah, I probably fail miserably at all of that, living in my truth all the time. I know I do often. Um... But it makes me sad that the majority of those 25 to 40% of women who've been subjected to surgery to extract their babies from their bodies are told that if they hadn't had that C-section, that they and their babies would have died. And this is very, very prevalent. So it seems like many, if not most, of the women who've had C-sections were obviously told that the surgery was necessary because... What doctor in their right mind would go to the bedside of a woman who's recovering from a cesarean and say, well, I'm really sorry that happened because it turns out you didn't need it at all. (laughs) Like that almost never happens, right? So most women are told after their surgical births that what happened to them was an absolute requirement and that if they hadn't received the C-section, they would have died. But when I look at the statistics of the midwives and birth attendants that I respect the most, and when I look at the reality of what takes place in the hospitals, it's not possible for me to come to any conclusion other than huge numbers of those women who've been told that their surgeries were necessary have been misled and even lied to. 
And I understand so completely why so many women are attached to the idea that their C-section saved their life and their baby's life, because to question that necessitates questioning everything that led up to that point. It necessitates questioning the motivations and the skill even of their practitioners. And it often means questioning many of the choices that those women made during their pregnancies. And that can be really, really painful. And I need to emphasize again that these women are not to blame. It is the fault of the system. Um, and we are taught from, from birth, really, that our doctors have authority. Our doctors are brilliant. They're smart people. They've gone through medical school. Doctors really in our culture are upheld as having the highest authority, not only medical authority, but moral authority really in our entire culture. So that's another issue to all of this. However, I do meet women all the time who are at various stages of questioning what was done to them and what they were told in the hospital or by their midwife or by the staff at their birth center. And it really is the right of every woman to define her experiences for herself. So while I think it's impossible to judge really in hindsight whether or not a C-section was necessary, well, not impossible, tricky sometimes. I mean, there are some women who've gone to lengths um, like accessing their medical records and, you know, doing years of research. And, and there are many women who've come to the conclusion that their C-sections were completely unnecessary. And then, of course, there's the fact that a small number of surgical births really are necessary and that that's miraculous and wonderful that we have this technology at our disposal. But it's also, for me, absolutely not my place to make any of those judgments for individual women. This also means, though, that I accept that some women feel strongly that their C-section means that while their baby was born, they themselves did not give birth and that their experience was a negative one and something to mourn and something to feel angry about. And I think that that perspective is valid, very valid, just as it's equally valid that other women prefer to characterize their C-section as a birth like any other. So there's so many uh, conflicting and different viewpoints. And I guess what I'm getting at is I don't think that those necessarily need to be conflicting. I think that all of those perspectives are valid. And I see a lot of, oh, I don't know, conflict amongst women when one woman has decided that her C-section was an affront and a violation and that she was robbed of the experience of giving birth. And that perspective can feel hurtful to another woman who is very much attached to the idea that she had a sort of a gentle or holistic C-section that was pretty much exactly the same as a vaginal birth. So it's not my place to make judgments about any of that. All I can do is talk about my own experiences and I guess as I'm doing now, really discuss how important my births have been for me and and how excited I am to be having another birth at home where I get to be in my comfortable space and not have to interact with anyone that I don't know, anyone that I don't absolutely adore. I have all of the people around me who I love. And I'll just be giving birth in my home with my husband and my kids around me. And I know for me that 
this is the experience, these are the, the conditions under which I have the ultimate power and authority. So I'll be giving birth here in my house with my husband and my children around me. Our oldest child, Horace, who is seven years old, is somewhat indifferent, but I suspect that when the birth actually takes place, he will observe quietly from the background. And over the past year, Horace has grown up a lot, and his more pensive, sensitive side is emerging, <laughs> which is really, really nice. Um, and he reads constantly, and he builds with Lego a ton, and he's hoping for a sister because, and I quote, we have too many boys in this family. Hmm. Well, I don't know about that, but anyway, that's what he thinks. And Treva, as I said, is my birth attendant, and she is just super stoked about all of it. She's so excited. She's got plans. She's figuring everything out. She's helping me fold baby clothes, and it's pretty adorable. And uh, Felix is turning four at the beginning of August, and he wasn't actually present during Cosmo's birth because Cosmo came out too fast. So Felix doesn't quite know what to expect, I don't think, but I have shown him the video of Cosmo's birth, and he was really intrigued. And actually, funnily enough, in Cosmo's birth video, Lee says about 20 seconds before Cosmo's head pops out, uh, I should go get the kids now. <laughs> and of course, he's way too late, and Cosmo is just born, and that was that. And of course, Cosmo himself is just kind of adorably clueless. Although when I showed him the video of his own birth, he actually was interested. So I think the kids are ready anyway. And as far as Lee's concerned, he's just seriously fed up with what has now become my many, 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 this is it announcements. In fact, right before I sat down to record this podcast, I've banished everyone to the river, but I sort of said, you need to get out now because I think I'm having the baby and I have to record this podcast before I give birth. So, um, <laughs> yay, I did it. I'm almost there. It's great. Um, and, oh, right. Yeah, I have to talk about this. Uh, I don't think I will ever live down the shame and humiliation of actually having called my birth photographer two or three nights ago because I was having a baby. Um, yeah, she drove for 45 minutes to get to our house for absolutely nothing. And I was sure the baby was arriving. So yeah, there are moments when I definitely feel like I'm totally losing my mind as when I was leaving the women's summit and I suddenly felt woozy and I started to experience regular sensations again. And as I left, my dear friend and sister of my heart, Natalie, kind of held me by the scruff of the neck and she, she said, okay, yo, if you really need to leave now, that's okay. But if the baby starts to come and you're on the highway, pull over on the shoulder and go into the woods. Don't give birth on the side of the road because you know that someone will call an ambulance and you don't want that. I'm like, yeah, not nah, okay, got it, no problem. Um, and actually quite truthfully the drive home was almost unbearable because I was having a baby but when I got home I went to sleep and I woke up again still pregnant and now here I am several days later still pregnant and the funny thing is that I have never had a client who has been even close to as annoying as I am <laughs> Not that any of my clients are ever annoying. I love each and every one of you, I promise. But what I mean is that I've never had a client who's experienced as many this-is-it moments. And I am annoying myself at this point. Like, it really 
it's just, it's too much for me. And at the summit, I had a chance to speak with a couple of other pregnant mothers. And these are mothers who are having their first or second babies. And it was really delightful to be able to tell them the truth, which is that even after six babies and seven births, this will be technically my eighth birth, I still get scared. And I have lots of moments of thinking, whoa, the baby's going to come out of my vagina. Can I really do this? Is it all going to work out? Is the baby, is the baby going to fit? And even the dreaded, what if something happens? And the only answer that's true to all of that, the only answer that really could possibly give me solace is who knows? Nobody knows. I don't know. What I do know is that I am safest and best protected at my home, in my bed, surrounded only by my closest loved ones. That's the place where I and my baby will have the best chance of a peaceful birth, a smooth birth. And it's at home that I'll best be in a state to be able to interpret what's happening to my body, or even better, not to interpret anything at all, but simply to release and surrender to the process. And I've said this so many times before too, but I truly believe that when mothers are supported as the sole authority of their bodies and their births, and when mothers are respected and offered love and compassion in their own environment, that every woman gives birth exactly as who she is. That her birth process is in fact an expression of who she is at the most profound level. And this goes for me too. <laughs> so all this hullabaloo and all my whining and weeping and silliness well, this does tend to be how I prepare for anything that's important to me. There's always a little bit of drama and a little bit of buildup and a little bit of a production. I have to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about it. But when the time is right, all that rigmarole will fall away and I can be brave and tough and vulnerable and strong. And I know I can do it. And this is partly why witnessing the births of other women and babies is such a privilege. The whole thing is such a privilege, but I get this amazing insight into the different ways that women are strong. And every single woman that I've ever been with is so, so strong in her own unique way. It's almost like a, like a fingerprint. Um, and I'm talking about every single woman. So the women that I've transferred to the hospital with, the few on the few occasions that that's taken place, and all the many, many, many women who've birthed at home, um, sometimes right after saying, "I can't do this," <laughs> like "fuck this," <laughs> you know, like "I'm done," "I hate this," you know. It just doesn't matter because we all have this incredible strength. And I just love, I love us. I love women. I love all of us. It's pretty incredible. And as far as my own baby's concerned, he or she is growing. And there really isn't much left, much room left in my uterus. And I'm feeling little hands in my groin and knees and my ribs all the time. 
And you know, some mothers have an ongoing dialogue with their babies in utero. I know some women who are really able to speak directly to their babies and to check in with who they are and what they need. And I'm certainly in touch with my baby, but it's in an abstract way. I feel so much love for this baby, but I also can't wait to see their face. And especially in the past few days, I've been daydreaming about what they'll look like and what they'll smell like. And the promise of a juicy, wet little creature in my arms is just, it's intoxicating. And so is the mystery of this entire process. And I whine and I complain, but there's nothing on earth more exciting than not knowing how this baby will finally make his or her arrival. Will my waters release first? Will they come in the middle of the night? Will I be woken up? It's just so exciting, I can hardly stand it. Because the honest-to-goodness truth is that I love giving birth. I love it. I love it more than anything else. It is, quite honestly, everything. The birth process encompasses joy and fear and ecstasy and laughter and silliness and sorrow and God and earth and stunning power of our bodies, and more than anything, love. And I just can't wait. So, yeah, I don't really have anything. (laughs) My birth kit is at someone else's house. I have towels. I have a bed. I have a strong, healthy body. And that's really all I need. Um, I have a fetoscope somewhere, but it's never even crossed my mind during any of my own births to check heart tones during the birth process because I'm in birth. I have other things to not think about. I'm in a primal state of complete and total meditation. And, And that's what birth is for me too. It is really the most profound spiritual experience of total connection to the universe, to the earth. I don't really know how to put it, but it's pretty special. And um, I have every confidence that if there were something wrong, I would know because I'm in tune with this baby and I'm in tune with this process and I am in a perfect place to be able to respond to whatever is at hand and I'm just really confident that I'll just be responding to birth. So I don't really know if I've given a clear picture here of what free birth is all about or if I've managed to answer any questions that anyone might have but I hope I've given you some food for thought and I'm so glad I managed to get this recorded before actually giving birth because I want to come back in a few days and talk about what my birth was like. I I can't wait to kind of um, process that experience in this forum, in this format, and I'll be probably writing about it too because that's just what I have to do. So in the meantime, please check out my website at www.bauhauswife.com and I have a couple of new blog posts up, probably some pregnancy photos, which I've been 
kind of ambivalent about sharing, but I think they'll be up there by the time this podcast goes to air. And even though I still have a huge backlog of emails to respond to, I will get to them eventually. And you can always feel free to email me at sasmat.clark at gmail.com. That's S-A-S-A-M-A-T dot C-L-A-R-K at gmail.com. And I do eventually try to get to most of the emails. Sometimes I just get so overwhelmed by these amazing letters that I receive that I can't necessarily right away respond to everything, but I, I try. So... Anyway, I'm getting all rambly because I'm feeling like I'm going to go have a baby now. (laughs) So uh, thank you so much again for listening. And I can't wait to chat again with you soon. Okay, take care.